Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. I mean, that trip was challenging because of the weather, but what got us through us was the camaraderie in the group. You know, we just had such a laugh. We were telling stupid jokes, stories, singing songs, whatever it was, because it was hard work. And I think, you know, that was certainly one of those trips where if the group dynamic wasn't great, it could have been difficult for everybody. That was my good buddy, Stephen O'Donoghue, who was on a trek with me to Match Pichu and Chokey Corral back in 2019. I wanted to get him on the podcast as I love his backstory on how he got into hiking. On a drunken night out, he and a friend decided to go climb Kilimanjaro to celebrate their 40th birthdays and he hasn't looked back since, doing an expedition each year for the last 15 years. I hope you guys enjoy it. You were telling me that you grew up in Sandy Mountain, Dublin, beside a beach. How was that? Yeah, so grew up in Sandy Mountain, beside the sea. Uh, Amazing place to grow up, you know the sea and the wastelands attached to it was our playground you know it was an adventure playground for us and you know back in those days we'd come home from school we'd dump the school bags and we'd go off and we'd be gone for hours and hours and we'd come home and it was darker come home from for dinner so the, that adventure playground we had every day was amazing loved it really loved it yeah like it kind of from someone down down the country like down Tipperary way like it kind of it seems a bit bizarre to me that you were going out doing like was it was it hard to get out in wilderness? Like you were saying, the the wasteland was just there. Like or how how did that work? Yeah, I I suppose like the beach is the beach, and we'd walk and we would play and we'd kick ball and we'd fish and we'd you know do all that stuff. But there was wasteland attached to it, which was part of the Irish glass bottle factory. So there was all kinds of things to find and you know hills to climb, small hills to climb, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I suppose it was adventurous in a way. We wouldn't have described it as adventurous. It was just our playground. Yeah, so look, when you're that age, like you're having fun in the backyard. And I was chatting to um, Robbie uh, O'Ra there um, last week or the week before in the podcast. And I know we used to train with him, the, you and I, and uh, he was telling me about starting a snail farm. So, you know, that's that's the thing when you're a kid, you come up with all kinds of stuff to, to keep you entertained. Yeah, I mean, we used to we used to come and there was all these kind of castles of lumps of glass down there from the from the glass factory and kind of ornate things. And I'd come home every second day with another lump of glass, you know, telling my dad, oh, here's another ornament or here's something for the garden, you know. So, yeah, it was just great fun. It really was, you know, because where we lived was on the main road. So, you know, there was quite a bit of traffic there, but it was it was pretty innocent, James, to be honest with you. You know, it really was dump the school bags and be gone for hours on end and come home and it was dark. Nobody really knew where you were or what you were doing. And it was all very innocent. Wicked. And who inspired you growing up, man? My dad is a huge influence in my life or was a huge influence in my life. Sadly, he passed away in 2017, but like definitely my hero, you know, growing up, he he was a really, really serious uh, sportsman. He was just one of those guys who was annoyingly successful at, at anything he turned his hand to. That was a huge influence. You know, he was a really, really successful athlete. He was a successful soccer player and um, he was very competitive, you know, and, that, and, that, and that's rubbed off. You know, he wasn't really one for, as an adult, taking part. He was kind 
of taking parts for kids and you know he'd have this old saying first is first second is nowhere you no know so and he was very encouraging in terms of getting involved and participating in sports being outdoors all, all that kind of stuff yeah my hero first is first second is nowhere like w- yeah. do you, would you look at that in a purely positive sense or did you feel a lot of pressure with that or so like in school I would have played a bit of Gaelic football in primary school then a bit of soccer and a little bit of rugby in secondary school to be honest with you I was never really very good I just I, you know I wasn't physically strong you know I was a bit of a beanpole in those days but he never put me under undue pressure and saying you must you must and you're useless or anything like that he was very encouraging he'd be always on the sideline but he was fiercely competitive like there's just no doubt about it you know? yeah cool man I kind of know your story man because we a little bit because we were in Peru together you know but like many people, like in your late teens, early 20s, you kind of moved away from being active and going out on adventures and you started hitting hit the yeah. pub and chasing women. Like talk to me about that time and, and, and leading up to when you got married and had kids and all that. What, what, what was going on at that stage of your life? Yeah, I suppose to give that some context. So when I was about 11 or 12, I joined the Scouts. Yeah. And I joined uh, a troop called 24th PBO, which was based in the Scout Association of Ireland's headquarters at the back of Leeson Street, as it was in the time, which was a bit from home. And my dad got me involved in there. And it was amazing. I loved every minute of it. And, you know, obviously there's some not great news around scouting around at the moment. But my experience of the Scouts was just unbelievable. And I was very lucky that the troop I was involved in, the leaders were all about taking us out of the den and going into the outdoors. So we'd go hiking, night hikes, you know, they'd take us away in camps. And so I really, really loved that. Every single minute of it, it was an amazing experience. And then hit 17, 18, yeah, you have a few beers, then you have a few more beers, and then you have a lot more beers, you know, just doing different things. And um kind of fell in love with a childhood sweetheart whose name was Helen, who's now my wife of almost 30 years. Congrats, man. Um, Fair play, and, and And all that goes with that. And so I suppose just drifted away from the outdoors, really. Just life led us in a different direction. We had kids at a pretty young age. I think I was 24, 25 when Killian, who's now 27, was born. Yeah, so the outdoors kind of went out of the equation, really. A buddy of mine we signed up for a charity trek, which was big news at the time. And there was lots of charity treks going on around that time to go and climb Kilimanjaro for the Dublin Simon community. And we did that in February. Sorry, we signed up in February 2006. And then I suppose in March or April, we kind of realized, oh my God, what have we done here? Uh, maybe a party sounds better. We better get our asses in gear and do a bit of training, etc. So we went off in October 2006. And ever since then, I've been back on the hills as often as I can. Amazing, man. Yeah, that's such, I, I love that story about you and your buddy, like going feck it, like after a few beers, like we're going to Kilimanjaro, like, like yay. And it, it's I cr- mean, it really was like that, James. Like yeah. I mean, I didn't have a pair of hiking boots at the time, you know, and then looking at the itinerary and going, oh, Jesus, like this isn't a stroll in the Phoenix Park. This is real here, you know, and I suppose the competitive nature in me as well was, you know, let's get ready for this and let's do this properly, you know. So it was an amazing trip. I would say, you know, I've heard you talk in other podcasts about life changing experiences and I would never overplay it. But that was definitely one for me. Um I learned so much about myself and other people. It was just amazing. And Africa is an amazing place. Mm. Amazing. Like, what's your top, like, I know there's so many, but like off the top of your head, man, what's your biggest takeaway from that Kitty trip? Back in 2007 or eight, you were saying, yeah? 2006, yeah. Okay. So it's quite a while, 15 years ago now. I suppose the one thing I would take from it was I, myself and Pat went out with the view that no matter what happens, we were going to get to the summit, oh, okay? Yeah. And kind of forget everybody else. And this is our trip. And yeah, we'll be nice and polite, but we'll do our own thing. 
within 24 hours, that just went out the window. You know, we didn't know what long drops were. We didn't know. We hadn't camped in years. You know, I, the way I would describe that trip is I made friends for life at that time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, man, because myself and other guides, we'd always be um, wary of young fit males, you know, fellas in their early 20s, with like that kind of like, we're going to the top, no worries. Like, if, you know, we won't tell you if we've got a headache or any kind of altitude sickness. You're always keeping an eye on them. But it's interesting you guys still had that mentality at 40 like you know it's it's not just an age thing it's a lack of experience thing and something you learn over time you know i think i think that's really interesting like yeah absolutely but come here you caught the bug then man and you went on to do a ton of other trips like i i, I asked you to send me on a list like patagonia morocco spain namibian desert in africa morocco like sierra nevada in spain you did Everest space camp with us and the trip I wanted to ask you about, I don't know if you've noticed this, you've been listening to the podcast, is Can You Try Adventure? Because everybody's yeah. been like, oh man, this is the best trip going. You know, you got to go to Kenya. But I know you had a good experience, but it was very different. You guys had a lot of rain. Yeah, talk to me about that. A lot of rain, understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it was a great trip. And I know some people who signed up to go with you this year and they were asking about it. And I was saying like, look, it's the best trip ever. And it is the best trip ever. I suppose our experience of it was... We arrived all good. We're all in good form. We start our first day hiking. The sun is shining, as you would expect in Africa. We see the guides having a chat with each other that looked a little bit ominous. And for the four or five days we were on, on the mountain, it was monsoon. I mean, it was just rained all day, every day. You know, the tents were soaking wet. The gear was soaking wet. Everything was just... So it was tough, you know, like yeah. it, it really was tough. And on the summit day... You know, again, you don't expect to be walking in a snowstorm in, in Africa, really. Um, and we left we left the camp about midnight or whatever it was. Not everybody decided to go because some people were just worn out by the whole thing. And we were about 100 meters or so from the summit. And it really was tough and, and dodgy. And John Healy and Sarah Phelan were their guide and doctor. And Julius, the local guys, were just amazing. And we called it quits. So we were pulled off the mountain about 100 meters from the top, which was absolutely 100 percent the right thing to do in my opinion so that day for us turned out to be a 17 or 18 hour day it was really really tough and then when we got out of that we then we had great weather again to finish with in terms of the cycling and the whitewater rafting so it's a great trip but i think you know one of the things i'd say and I go back to this on all of my trips i mean that trip was challenging because of the weather but what got us through us was the camaraderie in the group yeah. you know we just had such a laugh we were telling stupid jokes stories singing songs whatever it was because it was hard work and i think you know that was certainly one of those trips where if the group dynamic wasn't great it could have been difficult for everybody but you know loved it do you know i think like all the listeners vast majority were living in ireland so we're used to rain you know especially hiking in the rain but i think the, yeah. the significant difference is when you get that kind of consistent rain for five days non-stop like when it rains in the irish hills and you get soaked you come home you have a shower you put on dry clothes like yeah. what, what the big difference there is you're camping and it's so much rain. A lot of your stuff in your duffel can get wet unless you've got really good gear, like which, you know, some of us guys have or some clients, but yeah. like a lot of people like they're shattered after a day, they're soaked wet and you get into your tent, the rest of your gear is wet, like soaked and you're going to yeah. sleep in sub-zero conditions, man. It's like... And, and then when you get up the following morning, it's all still wet, yeah. you know. And there's and, a pool uh, of like, water in your tent. Oh, oh. I remember like, you know, uh, we, there was one place on that trip. We got actually to the campsite before the local dudes because the weather was so bad. So we arrived before the tents 
and we were hanging around and it was freezing cold and everybody's tired and wet and, you know, getting a little bit anxious and a little bit angsty with each other. And then the tents arrive and the guys do a great job getting the tents up quickly. And then they're wet, yeah. you know, and you're going, oh, Jesus, you know, but, but like, you know, you ha- look, you have to get on with it, you know, and know. you have to try and laugh about it. And I think I remember when we got to the campsite after the summit, it was in the, in the, in the, in the safari park or the national park and the guys had a lovely fire. They were drying, drying out all our gear for us they took out a few beers and all of that pain was very quickly forgotten you know and uh, the conversation went on to make sure you don't get out of your tent in the middle of the night because there's likely to be a hippo walking through the campsite you know so yeah. so you like you do forget the pain very quickly you, you do, know man. but but yeah no it's 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 so true i was on a trip uh in january 2019 a big team um we're climbing kilimanjaro for the rfu charitable trust and we had marcus Oren and shane byrne and mike mccarthy and stephen ferris on the trip and man, it, it rained every day, you know, and I was obviously working like I was head guiding out like 30 clients and, and a, a team of over 100 local staff like and I was just basically there going, you know, what, guys, it's going to be it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I can feel it, you know, just buzzing, like keeping it real confident. And then yeah, I could yeah, get back yeah. in. I was on in a tent by myself and I was getting in there and I was, there was a pool of water at the bottom of the tent and I was just like fet this man why didn't i become an accountant or something you know it's just like yeah. you know yeah, i remember it, 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 remember on the kenya trip going oh jesus those feckers in there it's, it's, they just pick the cheapest weeks when they know the weather's <laughs> going to be miserable you know you know, you, ha- you have to roll with it though i mean and that that that's the thing you know and and i know all of the guys you know we still stay in touch most of us i've been on some trips with the guys afterwards you know and we still look back on that trip huge huge fond memories you know deadly Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? Working in a video shop. What song is always on your workout playlist? I never listen to music when I'm working out, but I'm a big Springsteen fan. He's my go-to person. I've seen him live about 35 times at this stage. Wow, incredible, man. What are you reading right now? I'm reading Icarus, actually, the, the book of the movie, but I'm a terrible reader. It takes me about a year and a half to start and finish the book. Oh, it's fascinating. I've seen, I haven't read the book now, but I've, I've watched the movie. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Nelson Mandela. Nice, yeah. What's your favorite food to eat on a mountain? Two go-to things, a banana and a good old-fashioned ham sandwich. Good man. What's your favorite piece of kit? I'd say definitely my Mindle boots. I always use Mindle boots, the best. What's your biggest pet peeve when traveling? Cues. Cues to check in. Cues for security. Cues to get on the plane. Cues to get off the plane. Cues to get in the bus. I hate queuing. <laughs> Just want to get in the mountain. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. Exactly. Yeah. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Well, the easiest and obvious answer is travel, you know. Oh, I don't know. I could see myself doing some charity work, to be honest, which I was involved in homeless charity in Dublin before. And that's important to me, I think. Yeah. Good man. Work for a homeless charity and, and, and travel, I'd say. Brilliant. Describe yourself in three words. Passionate, loyal, and honorable. Nice. Very good. After Kenya, you went on and did one of the hardest treks in Europe, a classic called the GR20, in the middle of August. So for anyone that doesn't know, it's um, one of the toughest routes in Europe. It's on, um, on the Corsica in the Mediterranean. Tell me about that, man. Yeah, so that's one of my not great trips, you mm. know, that, that that's for sure. Came back and feeling fit and all that kind of stuff. I'm 
just had my head I wanted to do something in Europe for a change I just didn't really want to do you know kind of long-haul travel that year wanted to do something actually where my wife could come out afterwards and we'd have a bit of a holiday so yeah I had a look at the GR20 yeah toughest trek in Europe a lot of people split it over two trips north and south Um, I decided we'd have a cut at it in one fell swoop which is about two weeks of really tough hiking I think it's about you know just short of 200k there's about 12,000 meters of ascent from start to finish in it Doing it in the height of summer is probably not a great idea as a starting point. And then when there's a heat wave on top of that, doesn't really help. So it didn't work out for me. You know, um, it, it just didn't work out for me. And I was, you know, I, I would say, you know, instead of looking at others, you know, we, we we had a local guide from Corsica. He was a really nice guy. He knew the mountains inside out, but he just wasn't a great guide. And um, there was a group of about 10 of us who all met in the airport for the first time. And it was just, he tried to push us too hard. We didn't, nobody was enjoying it. People were getting through, but nobody was enjoying it. And then in the middle of it, my feet just blew up. I just blistered all over oh. the place. And I kind of, we'd had had an accident. A guy near the end of the day fell and busted his ankle. And we had to get him helicoptered off the side of the mountain. So there was lots of not good stuff going on. And I just said, oh, look, I don't need this. I'm going to bail out of this for a few days and go to the beach. But I think then when I came back, you know, I had had a good look at myself. You know, it's always easy to blame others, you know. And and the bottom line, James, was I wasn't fit enough. You know, I was training, you know, well enough, but I wasn't training hard enough. And I was kind of just, I plateaued. And it really blew my confidence when it came to hiking when I came back. I mean, I, you know, we got back in whatever end of August. I didn't hit the mountains in Wicklow until the winter. I just just couldn't couldn't be arsed, to be honest with you. I just had no motivation to get up and put on the boots, even just to do something like jouse and you know then i kind of said oh cop yourself on it's only it's only a hike you know get over it why was that man was it like a bit of an ego dent that you didn't finish it or what like yeah i was i was just really disappointed with myself you know and i probably have that competitive streak from the family genes if you like and you know i was looking around i knew i was well able to do this you know but i I didn't put in the hard yards beforehand Mm. because it's a tough tough gig and you're carrying a lot of weight with you yeah and it's really hot and it's just up 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 all the time you know so i just i said to myself like ah you know i'm too old for this this just doesn't really make sense and i need i did i really needed to get that confidence back you know and and i swore to myself that i was never going to let that happen to me again on a trip i either wouldn't do the trip or if i was doing a trip i'd be ready yeah absolutely be ready you know but that's the thing man you probably learned more on that trip than had you done if you'd just about had the fitness and managed to finish it off you know like you you just learn so much from fail like fail failure in in every aspect of life. So yeah, and I I, th- I think I was lucky, you know, that Helen came out and we had a lovely week on the beach afterwards. And Corsica is a beautiful, beautiful place, and the walk, you know, or the trek could be absolutely beautiful. But I think just having that time to kind of look at it and reflect on it, and and even though you know, as I say, I didn't hike for months afterwards, kind of always knew I was going to at some point in time. I was never going to not succeed because of fitness. Do you know what I mean? Other mm. things you can't control or whatever. An interesting experience. And hey, tell me this. What was your mood like the week of holidays with Helen afterwards? Were you in good form or were you like a bro? I was good. No, it was good. It yeah. was good. Like Helen is usually supportive um, around all of this, you know. And no, it was good. We stayed in a really nice hotel. The weather was good. We chilled out. We ate too much. We drank too much. All that nice stuff. Like that support from home is really important because, you know, I think, you know, you go and do these trips yourself. But for me, if I didn't have the unequivocal support from home, they probably wouldn't happen because, you know, I work hard during the week. You know, I'm on the mountains most weekends, sometimes, you know, every weekend. I'm in the gym three or four times a week. So it's, it's, you know, selfish, you could argue in in one way. So if I didn't have that support from at home, 
just wouldn't do it, you know. I'd say she's happy to see the back of you for a bit, like. Well, you're allowed to say that, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, after that trip in uh, Korska, we went to Peru together. We did the match feature in Chucky Corral Trek, which was, yeah. if I do say so myself, an absolute cracking trip. Like, we had great cracking. It's just an epic trail. Like, I think it's fair to say you got the grow back for, for hiking and going on expeditions after that one. I did, yeah. And I, I think, you know, like I'd had a look at the Machu Picchu trip before and had a look at your trip. I'd never heard of Chucky Carroll before, you know, talking to you guys. And man, what a trip that was, you know, and great bunch of people, you know, as always. But it, that's a, it was a tough trip, you know, and, and I think, you know, I remember the first two days were, you know, the first day of mad descent for eight or nine hours, you know, and then the next day of eight or nine hours up, you know. But walking into Chucky Carroll is, that will live with me forever. I mean, it's kind of had to be there to explain it, but, you know, somewhere that's similar in size to Machu Picchu, not as pristine, if you like. We were the only people there pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, I remember sitting under the tree when we went in and Ed- Edgar and the local guys, you know, passionately explaining the history of this place to us, taking us on a little tour, you know, taking us to a grave, you know, and explaining all about that and then letting us go off and wander on our own. I mean, it was, I'm not really religious, to be honest with you, but that was a spiritual experience. And um, it really was. And I think, you know, that kind of few minutes we took on our own, like it was just spiritual, emotional it was just it was just magical it really was and then walking around the following day or that day to come into the campsite on the Inca steps I mean you know if you like if you did campsites I mean my god that was just very very special it was you know? amazing and yeah. um, beautiful country tough hiking you know great culture great food great local guides great international guides as well I have to say you were- ah, sure he was alright you know <laughs> No, it's it's actually funny, man. As you know, we do info talks in all our trips, and I was doing one last week in Machu Picchu, and like, I'm talking to sixty or eighty people on Zoom, which is always an interesting experience. But like, they're all on for a Machu Picchu talk, and basically, I was on the going like, lads, I don't mean to be weird about it, but when you see, when you see Chucky Crow and you experience that, you're going to be totally underwhelmed by Machu Picchu, and it's so true, isn't it? Like, it isn't an amazing <laughs> spot like Machu Picchu, but Chucky Crow is just. It's just spiritual, like, you know, it's amazing. Absolutely. Like, like for me, there's no doubt that was the highlight of the trip. I mean, Machu Picchu was fantastic and it was great to see it. But to be honest with you, it's a bit like Disneyland getting in and out of it, isn't it? You know, there's yeah. so many people. And I remember, I think Mags was on, on that trip with us and she had talked about being in Aquas Calientes before and it was a little town. Now it's a little city, you know, yeah. so which is all fine. You know, that's tourism. It brings lots of money into the economy. Machu Picchu is great. Great to go and see it. But Chacuacero is streets ahead. Streets ahead. And hey, question for you. Like, I redesigned that itinerary to make it tough. You know, what do you think I'd take that box? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think for me and, you know, there were some of my friends uh, on the trip. I think that was important for us. You know, um, you know, for me going on the trips, there definitely has to be a challenge to it. You know, um, I, I, I don't really want to go on a package holiday. You know, I like package holidays. That's fine. But but adventure tourism is is different. And I think, you know, that was a tough, tough trek. You know, it really was, you know, and I think, you know, some people struggle at times. Um, I had from my previous experience in, in Corsica, I got myself into great shape and I kind of I was very proud of myself. I felt I smashed it, you know. So yeah, you were solid, man. So come here. After Peru, you and I went winter mountaineering with a group again to Scotland in March 2020. Actually, man, I remember you coming under a huge amount of pressure at the end of that trip. You nearly had to fly home. Like, can you tell the listeners as best you can and what you do and what your role is? 
Sure. Yeah. So, so in terms of the context to to the, that all that stuff that was going on in Scotland. So I work for a very large pharmaceutical wholesale and distribution company that also owns one of the largest retail pharmacy chains in Ireland. Okay, and that was I think around the first or second week in March last year. And by God, what a year it's been since then! But when I we were heading over to do the winter mountaineering in Scotland. It was kind of beginning to kick off and here, you know, all things COVID related. And if you remember, James, the phone signal wasn't brilliant where we were, which kind of turned out to be a good thing, to be honest, which, <laughs> because when I came back, you know, oh my God, had it hit the fan. You know, I remember, I think we flew back on the Thursday evening and we were sitting in Glasgow airport and you wouldn't really know that there was kind of a pandemic coming, to be honest with you. And my boss rang me and said, well, when are you due back? And I said, oh, I'm tired, man. It's been a long week. You know, I'll see you on Monday. He says, no, I need you here at nine in the morning. And I went, okay. And I'd been sending the guys some photographs of Ben Nevis and all the snow and all that kind of stuff. I'm wondering why nobody was coming back. And quite frankly, it just was mayhem here. And I mean, I suppose lessons learned in the first wave of the pandemic, everybody went nuts. It was a bit like the bread and the snow a few years ago. You know, yeah. we simply couldn't. We simply couldn't keep up with the, with the demand for volume. So people were looking for six months prescriptions. The hospital wanted to buy two years stock, all that kind of stuff. And we just couldn't cope. And we'd extra vans and all that kind of stuff. And that went on for about six weeks. And we were just on the floor, you know. And then then it just stopped. So from mid-April all the way through the end of May, we did nothing. So our business went from being really up at Mount Everest levels to be down at sea level. And it was wow. just, and it's been that roller coaster since, to be honest with you, but like everything in life, you learn how to deal with these things as you go on, you know? So we're almost a year into it now. You know, I think, look, as I said at the start, everybody's got a bit of lockdown fatigue. You know, we are one of the many stakeholders trying to support the Department of Health and the HSE um, in, in trying to help us get us out of this mess, you know, particularly yeah. when it comes to vaccines, you know? But I think, man, if you're if you're listening to like RTE, like our, our national broadcaster here in Ireland in the morning, you know, it's so negative. Like, uh, like I think, what's your perspective? I think it seems to be going pretty good, like, you know, on the whole. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, look, you know, there's so much of managing the message and all that sort of stuff mm. goes on. I think, you know, for those of us who are who are living it every day, look, I'm optimistic by nature, but I'm definitely hopeful in terms of where we're at. I think knowing what I know, you know, with more vaccines to come through and supplies to come in, I I think, you know, we definitely have reason to be optimistic that over the next weeks and months, we're going to see significant proportion of the population vaccinated once and twice. And, you know, this will end and, you know, it will end slowly, but it, it, it will end. I think, you know, we've, we've got to be hopeful, but the opposite to hope is despair. You know, that doesn't really bear much thinking about, you know. No, not at all. So, come here, you and I are go are hoping to go climb Kangyatsi to 6,250 meters in Ladakh in northern India this August. What do you recommend, hand on heart? What are our chances of getting out there with the pandemic? Look, if you'd have asked me the question a couple of weeks ago, I actually probably would have been more optimistic than I am now, which sounds contradictory. I think from an Irish perspective, I think by August we'll be in a good place. You know, I think the concern is in the developing countries, you know, what place, what, what kind of state are they in, you know? Yeah. So, Realistically, 50-50, I'd say. And that's me being optimistic, you know, as, as well, because it's important for me to have something to look forward to. You know, I know you guys are doing a trip to Mira Peak in October, I think it is. You yeah. know, that's my backup plan, if you like. Uh, and I'm, I'm very optimistic about that, you know. 
like last year, you know, we were supposed to get to Kanyatsi last year. And like, you know, obviously that came and went. I decided to do some different things in Ireland. Like there's always something to do. I did myself and a buddy of mine did the Wicklow Way, the full Wicklow Way, which we'd never done before. That was great fun, you know, gave us something to A for. I did the Dublin Mountain Way and all in one day. So there's loads you can do at home to keep you ticking over, but there's nothing beats the away trip, you know? I know, I know, I know. I'm training, I'm hoping to do a 100k uh, ultra run later on this year. That's my backup plan if I don't get to go to Amada Blam or Kangatsi. So yeah. you just got to, yeah. what can you do? You got to roll with it, man. It's outside your control. You, you got to roll with it and you've got, you've got to be optimistic and for me just having some kind of focus in front of me keeps me motivated to hit the gym when the gyms are open or you know hit the hills or whatever it is you know because like otherwise you just sit at home and feel miserable you know absolutely talk to me about your training like what's a typical week for you like you know i, I would hit the gym i think before the peru trip i would spend two or three nights a week in kind of a conventional gym doing my own thing and i think that was part of the issue with corsica i just kind of plateaued so when i came back from peru at your recommendation, I joined up with Andy Myers and the guys down in the movement studio in Terenure, which is great. It's been great for me, to be honest with you. I mean, you like, if you said to any of my mates or family that Stephen O'Donoghue who will get up at six in the morning, four mornings a week to go to a gym, they just think you're off your trolley, you know. And I've just got into that routine, you know. And, and what I found with something like that that's kind of class-based is I, I can see and feel progression. You know, during the summer, I'd go to the hills, you know, from home. I'd be up around Ticknock, you know, two or three nights a week. When I'm training specifically for something, I tend to stick to a couple of routes that I know easily and because they kind of allow me gauge whether I'm getting fitter or not. And I do a lot of hiking on my own and, and I enjoy that. That gives me good headspace. So mixture of the gym and on the hills, you know, nothing beats hiking for hiking, doesn't it? You know. So come here, when you say you're by, your, by yourself, you're, you're out there with your dog, Alfie. How's he getting on? Alfie, Alfie's the main man. So Alfie is... Uh, I'll probably upset a lot of people by saying Alfie's my best mate, but Alfie is a nine-year-old chocolate Labrador who I love dearly. And uh, he loves the mountains. He's gas. You know, he'll know when it's Saturday because he'll come into the bedroom and he'll stand at the end of the bed waiting for me to put some gear on. And then he starts hopping around like a fly, you know. And if there's a time where I don't bring him, he just looks out the window and soaks for four hours. But <laughs> he, he, he loves the mountains, you know. Look, he needs his exercise. It's great, you know. If I'm feeling pretty crap about something or the headspace isn't great, I'll talk to Alfie for four or five hours and he never answers back. It's amazing, you know, and uh, look, I'm a dog. You know, the unconditional love that you get back from the dogs, you know, is, is amazing, you know. So, no, I love going hiking with Alfie and he loves it too. Yeah, I really miss having a dog, man. I totally get it. You know, they're so easy going. Like, they're like... If you say like, hey, do you want to do Logan Aquila today? They're like, yeah, cool. Whatever you're thinking, man. You know, I'm, I'm good to go wherever you want. You know, you don't know any, any, any issues about what time you're leaving or anything like that. They're just like, yeah, cool, yeah. dude. You, you call the shots on this one. Exactly. And even lunch just fits into your pocket with a handful of treats. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so no, 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 no. It's, it's great. And he loves it as well. And he needs the exercise. So, yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, hey, before I let you go, man, what would your top tip for someone listening who's never done an expedition before? So maybe somebody else coming up to their 40th birthday party and uh, they're like, um, do you know what? Actually, I'd like to go and like that guy in the podcast, Stephen, there, do it, Kitty. Like, what would you be saying to that person? Like, The first thing I would say is if you're thinking about it, you're halfway there to making the decision. Just do it. Just sign up. Because if you think about it too much, you overthink it, you can actually talk yourself out of it. And, and that that would be, you'd really miss out, I think, by talking yourself out of it. Second thing I would say is, I think it's really worthwhile spending the time to get yourself in as best physical shape as you can. When you're on the trip, 
don't overthink it. Take each day on its own merits. I think, you know, certainly when for my first couple of trips, it was all about thinking about that summit day or the last day, you know. I think if you take each day on its own merits, you'll get to the summit eventually or that summit day will come, but you won't have lost out on enjoying everything that you see and experience on the trip as you go through it. So there's there's three tips. To anybody who's thinking about it, just go and do it. You know, outdoor trips have become a huge part of my life now. It's great for the head. It's great for the body. Going to all of these countries in the world, experiencing them in a way that most people never get to do is really something special. So just go and do it. Awesome. Thanks a million for coming on, man. Great to chat to you. Hope to see you in person soon. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.